Greetings, Questa, and welcome to the Meddlesome Meeples. Grab an ale, sheathe your axe, and join us fireside. Here's your host, Matt Williams, with Richard and Heather. Hello, and welcome to episode 20 of the Meddlesome Meeples. I'm Matt. I'm Richard. I'm Heather. So, Richard... The Quest Report, what games are we going to be talking about this week? We are going to be talking about two very piratey games. One is Pirates vs. British, and the other one is Tortuga 1667. And although they are both ship-oriented uh, games, they are completely different in terms yeah. of mechanics and style and everything, aren't and they? one so, of them is good. And one of them is good, so stay tuned to find out which one. Mm. <laughs> Heather. Uh, we've got a couple of album renew- reviews. I said I wasn't going to try and remember them, <laughs> pronounce the names. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I guess re- I get it wrong and anger people. We're going to be talking about Amore and Beast in Amore, Black in the, yeah. the bar's oh, corner, good. as well as presenting the other album news. Yeah, I'm not angry now. No, no, now, I can be angry at him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just don't try. <laughs> now, in Tiny Meeple's Big Talk, because it's our 20th episode... Mm. We've been doing a bit of reminiscing, haven't we? Yeah. So, well, not just about the show, but about uh, programmes we used to watch in our childhood. After 19 big questions, we need to kind of just go back to where we're comfortable. Yeah, back to where it all began. So, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so in our Tiny People's Big Talk this week, we're going to be talking about um, the, some of the TV shows that we used to watch as kids and how they stood up to the test of time. Because a lot of them we've re-watched, haven't we? Yeah, in, in yeah. recent times. So we're, we're talking mm. about that. And in the Tome Talk, it's Richard that's going to be presenting a book to us. Yep, that is The Abyss Beyond Dreams by Peter F. Hamilton. Excellent. So we've got that to look forward to as well. So what's everyone been up to recently? I can't remember. Partying? Yeah. Party on, Richard. Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, doing a lot of dancing with um, my, a lot of my Polish friends who did a. Uh, very good party with lots of dancing. So yeah, that, that was fun. Yeah, I always think of Fry. You know, mm. like, I will now perform my people's <laughs> native dance. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, it's been a, it's been a bit of a busy few uh, weeks, really, hasn't it? We did our um, dinosaurs in the wild. That's on it. Friday. I know it went somewhere. Uh, yes. That sounded that, fun. That, that's all. I re- really recommend that. That's really mm. cool. We went to a place in Manchester called Event. Uh, it's Event City where the the venue. And they had this uh, event on called Dinosaurs in the Wild, so we took the boys up to see that, and it's really really fun. You 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 get you get there, and I mean I didn't really know what I just thought it was a, a thing about dinosaurs. I was thinking I was going to see some dinosaur bones or something like that, so I, I really didn't know what was going on. You need so, to look up what. Yeah. You <laughs> so you see an autopsy. Yeah. Like, well, pretend autopsy. We'll come to that in a minute, but I mean you get to uh, this place, and we're kind of I was taken through these doors, and uh, the first person I spoke to. It was in a, in uniform, and they're like, "Oh, this is the history of our company." If you want to know about that, and I thought, "Well, you know, why do I want to know the history of your company?" But anyway, there was nothing else to do, so I was yeah, looking yeah, at this yeah. information on this wall, and it was becoming more and more apparent that the information on the walls was bull because yeah. it was. He started talking about this guy and how he invented mm. invented time travel, and I thought, "Hang on a minute!" And it's like, <laughs> See, I read up before we went what it was about, so I knew it was all pretend. But you yeah. were just like, "What?" Mm. <laughs> it's like, you know, shouldn't I, these people can time? trouble yeah shouldn't we tell someone does the government know i mean <laughs> this was all crossing my mind and I thought, we've got on. time traveling there people <laughs> <laughs> 
Like, why, why isn't this a bigger thing than it, it's meant, than it was made out to be? Our parents thought but, it was real, didn't he? Yeah, he, he oh, wasn't he sure at the time. Scared, yeah. I thought it was real it's at first. very realistic. I, yeah. I got there and, re- and thought, hang on, this is like an, one of those interactive experiences. Um, so then you should've... went back in time. So yeah, so you get taken through to this uh, like capsule to send you back 65 million years into the past of this base. Ah, just so you got the to, asteroid hit. <laughs> yeah, so we got to wander around and and uh, they had they get you to put on these safety glasses, which turn all the. I mean, they look like windows, uh, but behind them you've got these screens. So you're looking out onto images of all these dinosaurs and everything. You get and to play with dinosaur poop. Wow. Yeah, I, I played with dinosaur <laughs> poop. hands in the gloves and the, yeah, like, yeah. Oh, good for you. And scientifically <laughs> experimented with that. You know, uh, with your hands. <laughs> yeah. It was just, you could t- quite clearly tell it was just like clay and mud. Right, but all the kids okay. were just convinced it was dinosaur poop. <laughs> just put your hands in the gloves through the, and you play with it through the glass. Perrin got to handle this large dinosaur tooth. And uh, one of the staff there was like, how much, how much do you think the tooth fairy would give you for a tooth like mm. that? Yeah. I, said, I said to the guy, with, with something that big and sharp, you get all the tooth fairies money. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, it just bring a little bit of the north to the experience. She'd be in debt. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, there was like a dinosaur autopsy and everything. And there was like a dinosaur attack on the base, which was quite fun. And all the staff were role playing yeah. and everything was the really well choreographed. Point, oh, and yeah. the guy that went back and he was like, Tell my family I love them. <laughs> With this massive machine gun. Yeah. <laughs> you know. It was like, We've lost him. Keep going. <laughs> yeah. It was it was quite exciting. And to be honest, I mean, Perrin loved it. I really enjoyed it as well. It was it was good. So, yeah, that was worth it. Uh, to go to that. That was worth it. It is worth going. Dinosaurs in the wild, if you want to look that up. And don't worry, don't worry, it is not real, people. Hey. This is not Jurassic Park. But oh. if you want it to be real, it could be real. <laughs> well, Perry's you know. decided he wants to go back in time to find a T-Rex to eat his yeah. brother when he annoys him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was really yeah. cool. <laughs> I don't know if it's a fear or respect him more now. Practical use of a dinosaur. Yeah, this was, this was, this was a funny thing, because we saw it in... Uh, in Part of this display of this plateau, these three uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex kill and eat a Triceratops. That was hilarious. And there was like blood spurting and stuff <laughs> like that. So, faces. <laughs> yeah, all these parents' faces were shocked because there were little kids and there the watching. Kids were like, yay! And mm. um, but then Perrin decided he wanted to build a time machine so that a T a Rex could eat his brother Tyrion. So Aww. that's that's quite worryingly premeditated. Or Tyrion. But um, but yeah, so that's what we've been doing. Been been busy. We've been planning. Uh, some uh, something for our 20th show as well which we'll be revealing uh, on YouTube at some point which is a, like an outtakes uh, oh. behind the scenes of some of the recording that we've done which is well, going to be say, fun for everyone we say we've been preparing uh, basically ever since it started we've been kind of goofing up yeah um, <laughs> a lot so just to prepare for this 20th episode yes, basically. yes. Yeah. That's, that's why we were goofing up the stuff with Matt walking yeah. out the room and leaving things recording and we didn't know yeah <laughs> we've been saying things you chatting. knew you were being recorded people there was a camera right in front of you <laughs> Yeah. You know, um, the fact that we didn't know it was recording yet, that's uh, not so like, <laughs> But yeah. it said record! Yeah. <laughs> you should kind of check around the whole room before you start saying anything yeah. ever. You know, I'm, I'm paranoid all the time now because these things could be on and I yeah. just don't know about it. Well, what a meddlesome way to behave. Now, well, yeah, the clue was in the name, I suppose. One thing we do have to say is that as it's our 20th episode, that um, this is actually the last episode of season one of the Medicine Meeples. So we're going to uh, take a, a few weeks off to plan season two. 
and get some preparation. We're hoping to be back uh, late January, early February. We go to some Warhammer more episodes. World. Yeah, this that's, is that's where we plan this. Yeah, we have, go there and make our evil schemes. Yeah. So <laughs> Richard and I will be in Warhammer World at some point, and uh, we'll be drinking beer and planning episodes and having a merry old time. Yeah. In amidst all the orcs. The more beer, the more ideas. There'll so, be space battles going on around us. But in the time that we're gone, we'll still be writing a few blog articles. We'll uh, have a few. Uh, other videos and other things to to help tide over. We're gonna at the end of the show. We're gonna recommend a few of our uh, a few YouTube channels and podcasts for you to check out in the meantime as well. So don't worry, don't worry. There's still be plenty of fun. And why not go back and listen to some of our earlier, much much worse episodes? So for now, let's get on with the show. I'm getting attacked. <laughs> no, his hands just come on his shoulders. It's the dinosaurs. <laughs> On this quest report, we are going to talk about Tortuga 1667, which is a game that hasn't got too many components, does it? Quite a small little game. It's got a lot of cards. But um, this is basically a hidden identity game. It is. Yeah. It's, um, it does, and it does it very, very well. Mm. Now, the entire game fits in this little book style box yeah you can put it on your shelf and no one will know it's a game <laughs> and it does a lot with a very few components so the, with this game uh, you're going to be getting an identity a hidden identity card which is basically your nationality yeah <laughs> it's a hidden and, nationality card <laughs> and there's potentially three different nationalities in this game because if there's an even number of players they're going to be divided between British and French yep. if there's an odd number of players the odd uh, there's going to be a Dutchman card, yeah, a Dutch nationality, and for the uh, French and the British, they're going to work as teams, trying to uh, get more treasure than the other team. So if the British yeah. end with more treasure, they win. If the French end with more treasure, they win. The Dutchman is going to be trying to win by making the teams balanced. So he needs the end scores to be the same. Tie, yeah, for ends both. On a tie players yeah um and potentially there is eight lots of treasure that the two teams are going to be fighting over two based on the island of tortuga mm-hmm. and six that could be either on the spanish galleon or one of the two team ships so it's quite interesting to see how this plays out now those uh, identities will be dealt at the beginning there is at least one card in, in the deck that will allow someone to change uh, their secret roles with another player yeah, cause that and happened. that has happened mm. um, but on your turn effectively you're going to get a few choices all players have the opportunity to look at some of the event cards now the event cards are going to be under the play mat there will be five face down and when they're revealed they're, they're then immediately resolved in most cases a couple allow you to keep the card and, and use it later some make you keep it some are bad yeah the like albatross the albatross don't, don't get the albatross card no <laughs> um, but you can either look at a couple on your turn you can either look at a couple of the event cards and replace them face down mm-hmm. you can reveal one and resolve it um, you can force another player to choose between two event cards of course, they can't then look at them. They may already know if they've taken that option earlier. Yeah. Or you can move between ships and rowboats and, and the island. But each 
uh, rank, if you're on the ship, each rank has a special ability. So if you're in the first spot on the ship and you're the captain, you can call for an attack or maroon a player. The yep. cabin boys uh, can move a treasure between holds on the ship. The first mates can try and oust the captain and take yeah. control. That's pretty good. Which is always fun. Yeah. If you're the governor of Tortuga, you get to call for a brawl. Yeah. Which uh, gives you a chance to um, move treasure between the two parts of the island, between yeah. the two teams. It's weird on Tortuga because the treasure always stays there, but it can be on either the British side or the French side. Yeah. And that's what you can change. Um, and whether you are making an attack, calling for a mutiny, or calling for a brawl, uh, you're using these vote cards. Now, you start with three, and every time you use one, you will uh, replace it straight after. But these actually reminded me of some of the cards in games like, um, for example, Fate of the... Not Fate of the... Uh, Shadow of the Elder Gods, where right. the vote cards are divided into different sections, and you use different sections of the card oh, uh, it's like in the, different yeah, scenarios. That was the random anonymous card one. For example... If you're attacking the ship, you use the top part of the card. If you're having a brawl on the island, you use the middle part of the card. If you're trying to have a mutiny, you use the bottom part of the card. Yeah, <laughs> trying um, And much like games like um, Battlestar Galactica, if when whenever there's a vote between either members of, a, of the ship or on the island, you've not only got the cards that the players are, are putting in, you've also got a card from the top of the deck, which means that you can never be sure who's put what in. You can try and work Someone's that out. Someone's put a bad one in could have been the deck that's right um, and I must say personally I absolutely love this game I really enjoyed it it's a short yeah. game it's not very long it's only about what three quarters an hour yeah it took us to play that. with five yeah. players we had a few games um, but there's always feels like there's options to do mm. it's something good because you can you think oh, okay well I want to try and make an attack and get some more treasure for my ship yeah. okay well I can do that but then I'm, am I revealing my identity when I'm putting that treasure in the hold if the attack's been yeah. successful? You can double bluff. You can double bluff effectively doing that. And sometimes, if this, if one of the ships is empty, you think, oh, I'll go to that ship and then I'll be the captain. Yeah, because so, yeah, cool. those ranks that you have will be constantly changing throughout the game as uh, as you move to different spaces. That's something that took a while for me to get yeah. the hang of. Yeah. And that's, that's interesting. I thought the... Um, not only does it have good options for you to do, because I say everyone, you know, is going to be good, sometimes you're thinking, well, I'm the captain. Do I want to be the captain? Because I know someone, Carolyn, is mut is planning a mutiny. Yeah, um, insisted a mutiny. Yeah, uh, but then you get to go to the uh, island, perhaps, and you get to do something cool. And so no matter what happens... There's always some good mm. stuff that you can do. It's fun moving around the ships. It, the event cards are fun because they allow you to do different things. Maybe uh, shoot another player. Yeah. Uh, it might be something, <laughs> some interesting opportunity to travel. It could be something that really does change the game. Like uh, one of the cards we have, because there's the regular event cards and then starred cards, which you're going to shuffle three into the event deck every game. Yeah, so there'd be a few really powerful ones in there. And they can really change things. So, for example, in our very first game, uh, on like the second turn or something like mm. that, one of them destroyed a rowboat. Yeah. So it was only specific cards, like the Atlantis card or something like that, that allowed you to move between um, the Jolly Roger and Tortuga at that point, because the rowboat to go from ship to island and back was out of the game. Yeah. So that was that was fun. I always like hidden identity games because I like trying to figure out, okay, 
which side are you on? Mm. And, and very occasionally, which side am I on? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I love what this game does, and I love the way it, it does it. It does it with very few components as well, um, but it doesn't feel like this game would ever stagnate. It doesn't feel like it at the moment, because I could have gone for a third game of it, really, even that night. Um, mm. Yeah, once we kind of got the hang of what was happening on it. The one thing that took me a little while... Well, not a, not a while, but I didn't quite get it first. Is that it doesn't matter which ship you're on, either mm. the Flying Dutchman or the Jolly Roger. They're just the pilot ships. Yeah. And it's that each ship has two holds. So basically, each ship is collecting treasure for the British and for the French. Mm. And it's kind of up to you which hold you want to put it in, and that will kind of reveal yeah. what <laughs> where your loyalties lie. Basically. I mean, you can end up with one team controlling one ship mm. but that's not inherently the case so you can end up thinking oh this is my team uh, we're all on, on you know the Flying Dutchman and we're all getting gold for the British and yeah. then it turns out someone on your team has been masquerading and they're actually a, a French player Yeah, and they've just been biding their time till they can start moving treasure from the British hole to the, to the French hole so it is interesting and you can't rely on a case of oh well this person seems like they're on that that side because they've taken this action because people can and do double bluff a lot yeah, they with do. their actions um, and as I say this is a, a, a light portable game um, very easy to get around it's very easy to learn I think this is a game that would appeal to most people that play it you could have you could bring this game out just as like a dinner party kind of thing and people would get it quite easily mm. I think and enjoy it because you can have up to nine players playing this Yes. I mean, we've, yeah, that's the thing. we've played several games with five players, but and that was great fun. But I do feel like having even more players will make the game faster and even more backstabbing. Yeah, it'd be more guesswork, wouldn't there? Yeah, it'd be easier to hide your your hidden nationality. I think it's all always going to be better as well with that odd number of players. Yeah. Because then you've got the Dutchman, who is another element that's going uh. around, and he's. He's, all he's trying to do is make sure the teams are balanced so one minute you might think he's the British because he's he's just done something that seems to help the British but actually all he's trying to do is is win the game for himself and make sure the scores are, are as yeah, level as they can be there's like balance don't they, they say just, the if a player seems overly concerned with balance they might be the Dutchman mm. but that's not categorically the case that's how I got found out yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that Oh, well, I'm going to say this. I wholeheartedly recommend this, me heart is. It's Tortuga 1667. And one thing I want to, I want to add my... I also heartily recommend this as well. I just want to say these treasure chests are gorgeous. There's little, yeah. the little gold sparkly wooden treasure chests that you're moving around. So it's pretty fun. The to character around, pieces are basic, but that, that's all they need to be. I, I like, like the little... Meeples. Not yeah. us. <laughs> they're not meeples. I like the little cloth bag that you get with it. I yeah. like the again. I like the artwork on the on the cards. Yeah, but everything just fits beautifully back in the case. It's beautifully present uh, presented. It's easy to learn. Go check it out. It's Tortuga 1667. You should definitely do that. And on this quest report, we're going to be talking about uh, yet another Kickstarter. This time. British versus Pirates. Mm-hmm. Now, this is a naval-themed miniatures combat game. Yep. Designed for two players, though you can expand expand that to more players quite easily. And 
it's first of all, I'm going to say something positive about the game, and then you're going to wail. And on then it. I'm going to wail on it later. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm not going to wail on this game at all. Um, I want to say how beautiful the artwork is mm-hmm. on this game. Uh, whether it's on the tiles, the cards, the miniatures themselves look great. Yeah. Although some of the miniatures in the box didn't arrive right. Yeah, that's another thing. But um, on the cards, it's great, isn't it? There's a mm. picture of each ship. Because they're all specific ships, these cards are. So, um, yeah, it's, it's really nice. Each one's uh, got unique artwork on the on the ship card. Mm. Each one's got unique um, names. They've got their own stats. They're, they're quite interesting. Uh, I would say I love the artwork. I mean, it's absolutely beautiful, whether you're looking at the British ships, the... Uh, the pirate ships and also I say you get captain cards so you get a ship uh, for your faction you get a a captain for your faction now if you're playing two players you get two ships more than that you get one ship and one captain each Mm -hmm. Uh, and each captain will have their own stats that uh, may affect uh, boarding combat they may give you a boost to defense or to attack Uh, they give you depending on the kind of ship size that you've put them on bonuses to accuracy to mm. speed to all sorts of different things and that again is quite interesting because you want to match up the right captain with the right ship well if you've got the right size ship you get a bonus don't you that's right but other than that the captain's basically if you go in close to do some like boarding mm. that's captain versus captain it doesn't yeah. really matter what ship you want at that point does no. it <laughs> yeah. no once you've once you're there it's captain versus captain mm. but it it is and it, there are some interesting elements to this game um, I quite liked, like you said, uh, the whole idea of getting your ship into the right position, the right distance to fire uh, against another ship. Yes, I yeah. like that kind of that manoeuvring aspect. It felt to it. like you were manoeuvring sailing ships, yeah. rather than it just being a normal combat game with like a ship uh, aesthetic mm. to it. It did actually feel like you had to sail them forwards, basically, and then yeah. shoot sideways. So, yeah. Mechanically, we thought this was quite simple to learn, didn't we? Quite simple, yes. Yeah. It's the the, the strategy, as, as I say, of trying to plan uh, where you, your ship's going to be, how to make the most out of your manoeuvring. Mm-hmm. That was more. That was interesting. Um, what for me, I felt let the game down was the boarding. I like that you could right. try and board an enemy ship because I kept doing that to you, didn't I? Well, I, I started it. You, st- <laughs> yeah. I I started it. Did I think I did a f- bad roll or something like that? Yeah. And but the the boarding, once two ships come together, and once you're side by side with another ship, you can do a boarding action. Now with a boarding action, you are rolling a dice, adding on morale and whether your captain's got grapple or repel. But it's so heavily weighted by the morale that once the first person loses, it's almost impossible to come back from. Because they lose all their morale. Yeah. And the other one gains maximum morale. morale. So then the next boarding action, they're going to win. Yeah, pretty much. And that is what happened. Yeah. And it just it's very difficult then to do anything. Mm. And it didn't really feel like we said with the manoeuvring of the ships. Yeah. It felt like you you were moving a ship. When it came to the boarding, I didn't really feel like I was trying to board another ship. Yeah, it, that did feel actually like you were doing just a game mechanic. Really. Yeah, um, it didn't feel that thematic. Now, you do get some interesting cards that you can use, which will boost things like 
ship combat, speed, things like that, which you yeah, can play you can to do repair that. Repair the ship. Uh, provided that you've got morale to spend to do that, because you have to spend morale to play these cards. Mm. Uh, some of them are free. Yeah. But for most of them, you have to spend morale. But as I say, that is so important when it comes to things like boarding that it's quite a decision there as to whether you want to spend it for uh, to play these cards or whether you want to keep it in case you get boarded. Um, I just, I don't know, for me, the game just felt a little flat. Mm-hmm. I say I like that ma- manoeuvring uh, side of it and I love the artwork. Mm-hmm. The artwork on this, you know, full, full credit for that. Um, and I like the way you're keeping track of things with dice because with you all your different ship stats you have starting ship stats which you put your dice down for um, I like the fact that you, you've got to shoot past those outer armor whether it be port starboard stern or bow to try and get to the main structure of the ship and do damage yeah that I liked as well and once um, one of the, one of them goes to zero your ship gets uh, like a penalty doesn't it uh, well it just means that you can't roll a, that dice for it you still get your plus four defense but you can't roll a dice well yeah but hidden underneath the die once oh right sorry yeah you get like if your starboard's gone it's a starboard cannons cannot shoot if the back bit gets then the um gets destroyed and the pivot is reduced to one stuff like that yeah so and again i like that that fits well with the theme yeah it just i think the um the boarding just fell flat um and i don't know it just it it didn't feel like it was massively fun. Well, I think <laughs> I'm not a fan of these types of games, but I thought for what it was, um, I did enjoy it. Yeah, I thought it was good for what it yeah. does. I think as a as a light game, yeah, you know, it, it did work mm-hmm. mechanically. It worked, um, and again, and I've said this this before, but I'll say this again: if I'd found this as a kid, yeah. I would probably have been playing this. In my early teens, loads. Yeah. A lot of what we do is like for the child in Matt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a fat kid in me trying to get out. Uh, oh no. That sounds weird. It does sound weird. Yeah. <laughs> I shan't say that anymore. Um, but as I say, this does feel like a game that I would have really enjoyed a long, long time ago. Mm-hmm. It just, it just doesn't feel. Although it works. It just didn't feel fun when I, when I even when I was doing quite high amounts of damage to your ship, I didn't think, okay, yeah, I've done this, I've, mm. I've, you know, I've got this uh, ship, this side of the uh, ship gone. It was just, oh, okay, we're taking this dice off. It just, yeah, it, I don't know. Somehow it just lacked that engrossing feel or an yeah. immersive feel that I wanted from it. But as I say, as I, I think, if you put too much more into it, you'd have lost the light. So the light combat mechanic that the game was going for. Hmm. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, as a, as a combat game, it. Um, I thought it did quite well because, uh, like we say, the maneuverability and everything, and the direction of the wind as well. I thought mm. was quite good. Um, the way that affected your ship speed and. Then... That's it. Yeah, because it's like you can get to a certain place and then think I'll turn around here and then I'll have the wind behind me so mm. I can like go on the attack. I thought that was quite good. I like that aspect mm. of it, actually. Yeah. Yeah, it was quite well themed. I thought. So. Mm. Yeah. So that was good. Um, yeah, but like I say, it's just a it is just a combat game, really, isn't it? So it kind of does what it does. <laughs> I think um, when when I was researching the game, the game designer had originally planned a mechanic where 
once uh, two ships had come together and there'd been a boarding action, mm-hmm. um, they had to then break off after that first one. Yes. I think that would have improved the boarding side of it, but even so, the I still feel like it was just a bit flat on that boarding element because effectively when you board, you're rolling a dice to see who's going to win that uh, grapple and repel uh, battle. And then whoever wins that, the so whoever loses that, you're taking one off the structure straight away. And your structure's only six, so that's a massive amount of damage that's done there. Yeah. And if you if you can't break away from that, perhaps, then you really are going to lose very quickly. But again, it's only meant to be a quick game. So yeah. you take all that into account. Yeah, but you don't want to spend the whole time just being boarded all the time because there's nothing you can do about it. Mm. I mean, even if it's a quick game, then that's not so fun. Because like, I spent more time on your ship than I did on mine. I think <laughs> you can. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. uh, but I don't know. It was mechanically... It, apart from that aspect, it wasn't it wasn't bad. It just I can't get excited about it. I was I, after about twenty minutes. I was just waiting for the game to end. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, if, kind of, you know. I just and and I like ship games. As I say, the artwork was beautiful. Mm. It just failed to be fun. Yeah, well, I think if somebody wants a a game about like pirate ships versus other ships and something being that kind of era naval mm. combat then I think this is a very good one to go for um, so yeah but it's just we're not really looking for that I suppose <laughs> well, of us. I, I liked the idea of, of the game and I thought oh it would be really great to have a, a fun ship combat but you know I've played I've played other games which I've enjoyed more that sort of light battle mechanic um, and I don't know. I just with this, I just didn't feel like I was having fun. And it, and I wanted to like this game, mm-hmm. not just right. because I'd bought it. Because um, whether if I buy a game and I don't like it, you know, somebody will. But yeah. I just wanted to like it because it looked so good. <laughs> right. You yeah. know, it looks so beautiful. I mean, the the artwork and everything is amazing on this game. Yeah. Um, I just couldn't. I just couldn't get into it and and get myself thinking, oh yeah, this is great, and you know, oh brilliant, I'm lining up for another broadside. I wanted to be so excited about that. I wanted to roll a dice and get that broadside and go, oh yes, I've done this amount of damage to his ship, you know. Yeah. And even when I was doing damage to your ship, it was like, okay, I've rolled some dice and you've adjusted that dice on your card over there. Okay, now you're going to move and roll some dice, and I'm going to adjust this dice over here. <laughs> it, it just, it just felt like it. It lacked, although mechanically, I say, apart from the boarding action, it was fine. It just lacked that fun element to me, yeah. and so I don't feel I can recommend this game. <gasps> no, yeah, I... I'm not saying that it's inherently a bad game. No. I say mechanically, everything works. Everything's there, with the exception of the boarding, which you could easily house rule. Yeah, um, it just, it just didn't feel like fun. I just don't recommend combat games in general really you know there's so many more interesting types of games out there so but if you are into that and you want something kind of navy themed then i did quite i did enjoy this more than i thought i would but then i wasn't really expecting to enjoy it so (laughs) i don't know um i do i don't recommend it either unless this is uh you've been looking for something with like ship combat in which case this is yeah, I think this is a pretty good one to go for. 
I do think though. I mean, I, I, I'm not. I don't regret buying it because, as I say, I like the artwork and I like the ships and I like the miniature ships and I could probably um, put them into other games or or whatever. Mm-hmm. Although it did annoy me that the ships that I got weren't the right ships. We were looking at the components and what kind of ships you were meant to get. I, wonder if that may I got been. too much, too many of some, and not enough of others. Maybe in our problem, we might have uh, done that wrong. No, we definitely did, because I looked at it again later. Oh. I need to get in touch with the maker about it and and put that and see if I can get the oh, uh, okay. replacement. Right. But um, although if you've seen this, he might not want to send them me. So, <laughs> there we go. Uh, this is British versus pirates. I uh, cannot recommend this. But I, I will say it is a beautiful game. Yeah, I recommend looking at this game. Buy this game for the child in you. <laughs> the Metal Simmeables present music news and reviews in conjunction with Paradise Rock UK. Hi everyone, welcome to Bard's Corner. Okay, so first off a bit of album news. Uh, Blood Red Saints are going to be releasing Love Hate Conspiracies on January 26th via AOR Heaven. Now this follows up from their uh, independently released debut album, Speedway, in 2015. However, on Love Hate Conspiracies, it's got writing and vocal contributions from Paul Lane of The Defiance and former Danger Danger vocalist, and also Steve Brown um, from Trickster, Tokyo Motorfist, is written a song on there. Another album uh, definitely worth looking at is Leone Conte. Now, that's a self-titled project. Essentially, if you remember the Jean... Land, uh, Russell Allen project, Allen Land. It's basically that, but more metal. It's Alessandro Conte from um, Trick or Treat, which is an Italian power metal group, and also Fabio Leone, who was the original lead singer of Rhapsody. So that album's going to be out January 26th via Frontiers uh, Records. You can see the official music video. Uh, for the first song from there called Ascension on YouTube now. Uh, that's very good and definitely worth checking out. Also, keyboard legend Rick Wakeman is going to be recording a live version of his critically acclaimed Piano Portraits. Now, that's going to be at Lincoln Cathedral in London. Um, he's actually started a pledge music campaign to help fund the production of the recording, the filming, uh, for a CD and DVD from that. So, uh, if, if you're a Wakeman fan, that's something you, you're going to want to check out. Okay, now, moving on to the album reviews, we're going to look at two albums today. Uh, Dare to be Happy by Amori, and in a few minutes we'll talk about Berserker by Beast in Black. So first off, Amori, uh, now, she's going to be releasing Dare to be Happy on the 12th of January. That's going to be via Pride and Joy Records. Now, if you're not familiar uh, with her, she's a Swedish metal vocalist, singer, um, this album's got members of the Poodles, Therian, Hammerfall, Iron Maiden and Alien on it. Musically very good. Vocally, she's got that kind of growly, gravelly voice, but mm. not not on like an apocalyptica kind of le- level. Um, more, if you think of a heavy rock set, um, that's a good version, or maybe a more throaty Doro Pesh. She kind of matches everyone else on there, really. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, uh, if you like Doro, if you like heart rock set, but you kind of want a more heavy style of that then that's definitely going to be something that you're going to want to check out it's a very good album there's a couple of songs on there i particularly liked starlight was one bad illusion which featured mm. a member of alien on there as well and uh, monster of your own creation those were the three 
main tracks I picked out from that album. Yeah. But again, uh, if you like uh, female-fronted heavy rock, hard rock, then this is something that you're going to want to take a look at. Now, the main album we're going to talk about today is Beast in Black's album Berserker. Now, unlike Amori, Berserker is out now. It was actually released in November via Nuclear Blast Records. Uh, and it's just taken us, taken us a while to get around to taking a look at it. Yeah. But here we are now. <laughs> it was worth it. <laughs> it was worth the wait. Yeah. Um, now, these are a five-piece Helsinki heavy metal band. Uh, it was founded by Anton uh, Kabanen. Now, he was the guitarist uh, for Battle Beast. So I've gone with a completely different type of name there, Beast in Black. Um, but this was a, a project he started after splitting with Battle Beast. Now, Ouch. <laughs> one of the main themes through this album is the fact that it's um, a lot of the inspiration comes from an anime manga um, called Berserker. Mm. Hence the, the album's title. Uh, but there are some absolutely fantastic songs on this album. Yeah. The, it opens off with the Beast in Black song itself. Uh, which has some really great guitars, really powerful track. Uh, some of the other songs I really liked on there was uh, Blind and Frozen, which was incredibly catchy. Yeah. That was the second track. And Blood of a Lion, which again, very catchy, very anthemic mm. metal album. The whole album's quite catchy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. well, I was going to say, because the song you liked on there was Born Again, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. What did you think of that? Same thing, really. It was just really catchy. I can, I'm making quite a few different compilations at the moment, and that's definitely going to make its way onto there. Yeah, it was um, very, again, I say catchy, but also the rhythm of it was mm. really, really good. Um, there was a song on there that did seem a bit odd to hear on a metal album, which was Crazy Imagine Sane. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of like a dance disco metal song. Yeah, it's, um, it's yeah. still very, very definitely metal, but... It wasn't it, bad. It's you. It, it wouldn't odd. be surprised to hear it necessarily on the dance floor somewhere. Yeah. It wasn't bad. It was just a little bit odd on it, the album. Wasn't it's it? one of the weirdest songs I've heard on any <laughs> metal album. But it's I mean, very different from the other songs. But still a good song. Yeah. Um, Eternal Fire was a, on there as well. That's very keyboard driven symphonic metal. Uh, and it, the last song on there was uh, the ballad from the album Ghost mm. in the Rain. Now that's an absolutely fantastic ballad with some great guitars. Um, basically, this is one of the best albums I've heard this year. Very, very catchy. Technically fantastic. Anton is great on the guitars. The singer is someone I'm not familiar with. Yanis Papadopoulos. But for me, um, Beast in Black's Berserker is definitely one of the best albums of the year. So far, unless something uh, drastic changes in the next few weeks, it's going to be... It's hard to imagine that it's not going to be my number one metal album of the year. Yay! Um, I've given it a 9.5. Oh, with a point five, <laughs> Oh, uh, that's so annoying. I only said that to annoy Heather. I've actually given it a perfect 10. Um, oh, <laughs> I just so wanted cruel. I just wanted to see Heather's reaction when I round said 9.5. Round it up or round again. it down. This, is, this will be <laughs> the third album this year to get an, a 10. Yep. So... It's been you know, quite a good year for music, hasn't it? It has. There's been some fantastic albums. A few doozies. <laughs> oh, yeah, you've got to kind of yeah, balance. <laughs> but all in all, I can't recommend Beast in Black enough if you like metal, even remotely if you're a fan of Rhapsody, if you're a fan of Hammerfall, mm. um, if you're a fan of someone like Iron Anthony Lukeson, anything like that, then this is definitely an album that you are going to have to check out. Beast in Black mm. Berserker is already out there, so... You may already have heard of it, and if not, go check it out. What are you waiting for? Go now. Well, 
Well, that was fun. Let's carry on with the show. The Meeple's Alive! Now, as it's our uh, 20th episode of Tiny Meeple's Big Talk and the Medicine Meeple's Podcast, uh, we were reminiscing a little bit. And one of the things that our audience might not realise is that Richard and I are only something like 11 days apart. I think it's 13, actually. 13 days yeah, apart, so yeah, that sounds yeah. right. Nearly it's a fortnight. less than two weeks. No, we're, we're British, so we like fortnights. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we're less than a fortnight apart in age. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we were thinking about some of the programmes that we used to watch as kids. Mm-hmm. And it turned out a lot of them were very similar because of the <laughs> similar age gap. So things were pretty yeah. much on at the same time for us. Uh, so you, you had... Uh, you had a, an older sister, didn't you? Things like that. I think that kind of changes dynamics. I think I was the oldest kid. Yeah, but I wasn't watching TV with them. Yeah, I know, but it just changes things. I don't know. I had the older cousins, and like, if I would go round to theirs, I'd be watching completely different stuff. But like mm. you say, yeah, I was just thinking like, it would be different channels in the house, stuff like. Yeah, that. yeah. but it, it made us think about some of the uh, programs. So we thought we'd actually just have a little bit of a. A reminiscent Tiny Meeple's Big Talk. When we talk about shows yeah. that we used to watch as kids. And actually, some of these I've been watching recently because I've, I've I don't like a lot of the kids shows that are on now. And I watch some grown-up programs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, I've got kids, so the kids yeah. are watching stuff, and some of it is absolutely mind-numbing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've got some of the uh, programs that I used to like watching to show them, right? And some of them, although I remember them fondly have not aged well, and others are still cool. I found that with Transformers. Yeah. I watched the Transformers movie when it came out on DVD, and uh, it's just terrible. It's like there's such gaps between them saying things, hardly any sound effects. It's just weird. Well, the the old cartoons, I mean, particularly in the first series of of Transformers, the old um, show, which was from 1984, Mm -hmm. that... That season, that first season, was not good. (laughs) Some of the later ones weren't as bad, Mm. but I still fondly remember them. Well, I loved Beast Wars when that was on, because that's like a spin-off, and uh, had some quite crazy stories. It was like computer animated. That was a good programme, but yeah. I think some (laughs) of the ones that um, I want to mention are going to be ones that a lot of people will be familiar with and probably like anyway. So, Mm. for example, there was the uh, 1994 uh, series of... Uh, the Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, um, with I the really cool guitar Spider-Man. that was by Joe Perry from Aerosmith. I used to really like that. X-Men, the animated series. Started on there was one two. summer where that was on like every day, yeah. And uh, me and my it sister was a good watched summer. it. It was like a uh, soap almost because <laughs> it's like it followed each one followed on for the last one, and that's what I loved about mm. these programs. Yeah. They were very good, and they did mm. quite a few where they were like um, up to like the Dark Phoenix saga. There was like four episodes back to back, all part of oh, the same storyline. Yeah, I thought the whole series was ending at that point. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like... I mean, yeah, that was great. Um, and to be honest, I prefer that to the way it's been handled in the cinematic universe. It's yeah. um, it's been done well. Uh, well Wacky Racers. Not as young as I was, I don't know. Oh, Wacky Racers, I watched that. Yeah. And now here they are, the most daredevil group of daddy drivers to ever whirl their wheels in the Wacky Races, competing for the title of the world's wackiest racer. And uh, Mutley. 
yeah, yeah, Dastardly and Muttley who are in the, in this Penelope pit stop and all the others. Yeah, <laughs> that was good. That's yeah. one of the ones that actually looking at because I mean my kids love Spider Man and Spider and the X Men series. The Wacky Races is another one that's really stood the test of time. Mm. Even though, as I say, it was 1968, it's yeah. still fun to watch now. Well, Hanna-Barbera ones, generally, mm. they hold up quite well, which is one of the reasons why... I, like, it feels like we've already reminisced about all this when we watched Harvey Birdman. Yeah. Because, basically, <laughs> he was representing all these people in court. And it did hold up quite well, I thought. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I wasn't surprised that there was a lot of people from the 60s and 70s ended up in uh, court. I just didn't think it would be cartoon people. <laughs> no, that's it. Well, you can't imagine them having a lot of claim, a lot of injury claims. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> some of the stuff they're having, bowling ball related <laughs> head, in, head injuries. Do you remember watching the Animaniacs? It's time for Animaniacs, and we're saying it to the max. So just sit back and relax, you'll laugh, you'll laugh, we're yeah, loved the Animaniacs as well. Yeah, Yakko, Wacko, and Dot. Dot. Yeah, they lived in the water tower. Yeah, I loved the Animaniacs. Mm, uh, and yeah, that's another one my kids have responded to really well. Yeah, um, they love, particularly they love Wacko. Do they? Yeah, the Perrin loves. Wacko. He eats the big sandwiches, doesn't he? Yeah. yeah. Um, but of course, spinning off from that is one of my favourite cartoons, which was Pinky and the Brain. Yeah, because they started good. out as characters in the Animaniacs, didn't they? Well, that's where I basically would see them. They'd be mm. like, they'd be Animaniacs, and then Pinky and Brain would be like part of that. Yeah. And then Pinky got it its own <laughs> spin-off. Also, wasn't Brain like Orson Welles or something? Yeah. <laughs> just had that voice. <laughs> it was brilliant. Mm. Um, do you remember Conan the Adventurer? Another one. Yeah, that is something I watched and didn't realise that it was a film or anything. Mm. To me, that was just a cartoon. And yeah, I used to watch that. And then when I found out it was a film with Arnold Schwarzenegger, I thought, what? <laughs> what's going on? Why is he Conan? <laughs> but because uh, the film was uh, Conan the Barbarian, wasn't it? The TV series was Conan the Adventure. Yeah, they made it a bit more um, palatable to yeah. kids there. But another thing that I watched the cartoon first of was Bill and Ted. I used to right. watch Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures, where they, obviously they went to a different time and place each time, and Rufus was already in it, mm. was always in it, and uh, yeah, I really liked that. And then obviously years later, find out that's a film as well. I mean. <laughs> That's good, and uh, yeah, I like I like the Bill and Ted films, but mm. yeah, the Bill and Ted cartoons were good. Um, but no, going back to Conan, I loved the. There's a few of the uh, cartoons that I remember as a kid, absolutely loving the music for. Mm-hmm. Back in the nineties, some of the kids shows had, had awesome music. So well, I yeah, say, without fear, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I remember that one. I still remember that. He's thing, more know. powerful than any man, <laughs> or the land and sea. That was, I can't remember that any was any of the adventures that actually <laughs> happened, but I really remember that song. Yeah. Uh, don't you remember it, it, um, fighting the lizard men and sending them back to another dimension? 
well, it seems like every episode was that. Yeah, so. <laughs> it was pretty good. Um, but yeah, I love the the Conan soundtrack, and even when I put it on to show um, my boy Perrin, mm. uh, he loved the music as well. So that was good. So we were singing that together. You have your inner child and also Perrin. Yeah, show these things too. I mean, I just have to think about these things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is one. This is one of the great things about having. Um, having a kid now, whether it was a boy or girl, it wouldn't have made any difference. I'd still want to show them, uh, you know, the, the shows I watched as a kid and the toys well, I played. Yeah, my sister watched kid. all the same stuff as me. Yeah, um, but having a kid means that you can you can do that, and uh, it's acceptable then to do that as well. Instead I don't know about sitting, sitting at no, home watching no, no. Ca- cartoons. It seems like indoctrination to me. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Biker Mice from Mars. Do you remember that one? Yeah. Biker Mice from Mars. I did watch that, and it was kind of okay, but I was kind of waiting, I kind of wanted other stuff to be on at the time, mm. but I ended up watching that quite a lot, yeah. That was pretty cool, and uh, that that used to be on when the X-Men weren't on. Yeah, I think that's why I, that's why I was angry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, bring, like, bring back the X-Men! <laughs> yeah. But I, I did remember, prefer the X-Men to Biker Mice from Mars, but the Biker Mice from Mars were cool. I remember the one called Vinny was cool. Yeah, Vinny was my favourite. Mm. Um, I was talking to you about this the other day. There was a show I used to watch called Botsmaster, or The Botsmaster. I'm Ziv Zoolander, ZZ for short. You know I fight the corp, I'm the Botsmaster. Listen up, you all, you're the boys brigade. When it's laser time, put on the 3D shade. Laser time, boys! Yeah, you've mentioned that before, and it's something that... Seems like there's something about it on the edge of my consciousness, mm. but I, I can't. I don't can't let's, say. I let's see it. if I can jog that memory. Uh, Ziv Zoolander. Do you remember him? He was the main what, character. Blue Magnum. No, I can't, <laughs> no, I can't remember him. No. It was this. The story behind uh, the Vox Master was that um, there was the corporation, and Ziv Zoolander and his bots, uh, which he used to call the Boys Brigade. <laughs> which was which was an acronym, um, uh, and I can't re- remember what the acronym boys for boys. Yeah, That's a flipping B- long B-O-Y-Z-Z. acronym. B O Y Z Z. Bots oh. of uh, young. Ziv Zoolander. Bots. No, it wasn't Ziv Zoolander. Boys of young uh, something. Yeah, but it was it was something to, to do with the way the, the, the with the programming. It was a reference to the right. uh, r- robotics. But yeah, and mac and cheese. <laughs> Oh, the, the, these 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 bots didn't come close to mac and cheese. <laughs> okay. um, but yeah, but some of them were really cool. So there were some that were designed to like be engineers, be scientists, that were really brainy and, right. and made vehicles and stuff. There was okay. one, uh, the doctor called Watson, uh, mm-hmm. who used to. Uh, he was kind of like an, he was the doctor, but he was also an engineer. So he'd like uh, help make repairs to the bots He's and just the also wearing, do, clever guy. be the medical guy for the uh, for the humans in the show. Right. Um, but my favourite character in there was called Ninjas. Ninjas. N- what, plural? Uh, <laughs> N-I-N-J-Z-Z. Oh, okay. Does everything have to have Z-Z on it? Uh, there's a lot of Z's in this show. <laughs> okay. uh, but he, he was the first of the boys' brigade to be built specifically for combat. So he had, like, all... all he was programmed with the memories of loads of martial artists. Right. Um, okay, Mr. Miyagi. And he was in the... As, as they go through in the intro and in the credits music, all the different uh, bots... 
And what they do. Uh, and what they and what they do, basically. That and reminds it, me it, of like Donatello does <laughs> machines. <laughs> so for him it was what was it? My name is Ninjas, the battle hinges on how I use my sword and how it singes. My name is Ninjas, the battle hinges on how I use my sword and how it singes. Oh, right. Well he knows <laughs> Lots of Zeds. He knows what he does then. He knows what he does. Yeah. Um but yeah, so the Ziv Zulander basically made these bots to help him fight against this evil corporation. Mm-hmm. But uh, most of them weren't combat based so there was like several construction bots uh, who uh, were adapted to ha- were able to do combat stuff uh, right. there was the sports bots right. so like there was one guy and it was all sort of like almost tennis ball type projectile type things sure, that was, must be one, the one that was like a golfer uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, is he also uh, a doctor bot <laughs> there, was, yeah, there was one that was like a, a base, went around with a baseball so he'd bat so oh, he'd, right. he'd bat in these balls and <laughs> explosive balls at people right. and uh, there was one with a tennis racket and stuff like that so mm. yeah so they weren't really like combat orientated bots in their design they were all sort of themed after them. different things <laughs> yeah. but yeah so um but there, yeah, it was really, really fun. One of the things that was quite rare for this, because mm. this was a 1993 program, was um, that it had segments of it in 3D. Right. But you didn't... Uh, so you, when they sold the action figures for the show, then. Yeah. then you got these gl- 3D glasses with it. Right. But you could still... It was the way that the uh, recording was done. If you put the glasses glasses on you got this kind of 3d look to the as you're cool. watching the tv but yeah. you could still watch the tv and see it all without the glasses right um so there was there was always a cue in the show to put your, new to put your glasses on and it was when ziv Zoolander at like at the start it'd always be at the start of a battle right so ziv Zoolander would shout it's laser time boys <laughs> and that's when you need to put the 3d glasses on right and when ziv said it's game over you take them you off. You take them off. <laughs> okay, right. But it was like a really unique thing back in the early 90s no, to have something 3D in your own yeah. home. They did something really like 40 odd episodes, I think. Mm. So that was fun. Uh, Bucky O'Hare. You remember Bucky? Yes, I remember Captain watching Bucky O'Hare. Yeah. Bucky! Captain Bucky O'Hare! Bucky! Bucky O'Hare! Let's some Another thing where I remember the. The tune more yeah. than the actual program. Yeah. Let's go. Let's go croak some toads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it had toads in it. No, that kind of overlaps for me a little bit with Danger Mouse, which I know is another one we were talking about. Yeah, just the fact that there's Baron Greenback. So I always think of toads as being evil. <laughs> <laughs> it was about ten years. Danger Mouse came out ten years before. Uh, Bucky O'Hare. Yeah. But me and Ryan used to, when we were we were kids, we used to watch Bucky O'Hare, and we were we were mad on it. We used to s- sing the theme to and everything. But again, like you say, that the some of the music for these shows was so good that you still remember them, even yeah. though some of the episode details were a bit foggy. Yeah, well, our brains were forming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we saw these things like every day or every week. So yeah. But it was it was great watching these shows, and I say mm. Bucky O'Hare. I just I love the theme music. I mean. I, got the program for uh, for Perrin to watch I got the, managed to get a DVD with like, all, all the episodes on and uh, he liked it as well because when he's under your roof he'll watch what he <laughs> yeah. wants him to watch <laughs> hey I don't give, I don't force him to watch any That's of these not, I just give no. him the option yeah um, not everything's held up that well though I spent mm. ages trying to track down this program I watched as a kid called the Telebugs <laughs> I remember having this video with the Telebugs on. I think it was like 1986 mm-hmm. uh, that it was originally out. Um, and it was kind of like you got the three characters. There was like a red one, a yellow one, and a white one. 
and they had TVs sets for heads. Right. And they were uh, little superheroes, so they'd fly out and and uh, be battling this villain. And it does not age well. <laughs> A lot of things aged well. That did not. Who thought was... bugs with TVs for heads wouldn't <laughs> age well? <laughs> it looked terrible. I mean, it would be a lot more interesting nowadays if they had massive flat screens. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, that didn't age well. There was a and d series from the early 80s as well that I quite liked. Like a cartoon yeah, series. Yeah, I and don't kids went, I remember seeing these kids, It started off with these kids went on this ride mm-hmm. at, at a fairground. And as the ride set off, it transported them into this uh, fantasy Yeah, I think I've seen adventure. clips of that. Yeah, it's, it's weird. And they be kind of become different things, don't they? They become like different there. classes and things like that. They basically get a character sheet when they yeah. go in there. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that was fun. Um, Banana Man was another one that I, I quite liked as that, a kid. That, that's old, isn't it? <laughs> and I remember, I'm pretty sure this was just propaganda to make us eat bananas, because after I started watching that programme as a kid, I was constantly wanting to eat fresh fruit and veg and hoping yeah, to turn into banana yeah, well, man. you were so potassium deficient young, before that. I mean, young <laughs> Eric, it was the main character. Young Eric, that yeah. Was his name. Yeah, then he eats the banana and becomes banana man. <laughs> so the thing that used to, I used to think this even as a kid, he had his secret identity. Mm-hmm. Okay, he was Eric, he ate the banana and became banana man. But people always used to phone him on the phone to ask for help. Yeah. And then I don't think it was all that secret. Yeah. <laughs> but that's going to give you away for it sure. Is. If you've got, I mean, it's not so bad in mobile phones, but landlines. <laughs> and it's also weird for people to get their powers from just a, a normal food into it as well. Yeah. It's like with Popeye and his spinach. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I, I like, I quite like spinach, especially like sagaloo stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm, I'm not strong. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll eat most foods if it's in a curry. Um, yeah. But yeah, have it. I used to eat spinach and think this is this is a big lie. Popeyes it's deceived like, me. Yeah, and it's supposed to be like it makes your muscles go out straight away, <laughs> like his. And it's mostly forearm, yeah. as well, which is weird. <laughs> which was yeah, it was questionable. Uh, <laughs> do you remember a show called The Tick? I do kind of remember that. Yeah, I can't remember much like about a it. Big blue superhero. Mm. That was that was fun. Yeah, that, that was uh, fun. and I think that's got a bit of a cool status these days. Yeah, a lot of things do. So, yeah. yeah. Um, another one I quite liked, and again was quite popular, so you probably remember this was Thundercats. Yeah, now that's a weird thing because I don't remember seeing the TV program very much, but I had some toys of it. Mm. And. Uh, particularly the sword mm. I'd like the sword that had the Thundercats logo which I think on the programme was meant to like shine into the mm. sky for me it just lit up and I used to like why isn't this going on the clouds but, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I loved that sword it was cool mm. it was cool um, what about Captain Planet yeah, oh, that taught me a lot about not polluting the environment and stuff like that <laughs> so that was really good and the baddies on that as well I think I've heard it mentioned kind of in in I think it's in Isaac Arthur's mm. videos where he's talking about like if aliens visited they might hate us for ruining the environment but he's saying like it'd be a special kind of jerk to like punish us for not looking after the environment instead of telling us how to do it better um, because like people generally don't want to ruin the environment unless you're mm. a bad guy from Captain Planet yeah. <laughs> which is like they're just like yeah I'm gonna pollute the planet. <laughs> 
<laughs> I remember that being a bizarre program because like all the teenagers had those rings, didn't mm. they? It was like was it Earth, five fire, wind, water, heart. Yeah, I thought heart. He got the wrong end of the stick. <laughs> yeah, and, you'd, be, uh, you'd be you were kind of there, all hoping to get the firing. Really, <laughs> yeah, and he has heart. <laughs> Who the hell knows what that did? Um, but yeah, um, and then they put them all together and they make Captain Planet. So he like only exists. He's it only exists when all those rings go together or something. Like, it's like the time is just not there. It's like, you know, if you've got a friend and they only bother to give you a call when they need help, That's and when him. they're moving house or something, yeah. those kids were that friend. Mm. They, they, never, they never just invited Captain Planet around for yeah. tea, did they? Yeah. It was only, you know, there's a, this forest's about to be destroyed. Yeah, you know, move this oil from, from the North Sea or something <laughs> like that. Like, move your own oil. <laughs> yeah, Stop calling. <laughs> <laughs> Why Captain Planet didn't just move on? Mm. I don't know. Well, he had to bring pollution down to zero, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> there's a, there's a, a uh, robot chicken sketch of Captain Planet. Mm. <laughs> it's quite different to the cartoon I remember. Yeah. Actually, one of the things I found out recently, um, I didn't connect it before, one of the voice actors in Captain Planet was LeVar Burton. Was it? Jordi LaForge. <laughs> yeah, he's good at voice work. He's, yeah. yeah. Uh, um, there was a computer game of it as well, I know, because my friend, uh, I think he's got a, he's got a YouTube channel called Gaming Across the Years, but like he's done the whole of the, playing the Captain Planet game. Mm. And it's, his commentary of it's really funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one I've been, uh, one I remember really liking, and I've. Uh, it's funny enough, it was there was a film based on it. As, well, not based on the the cartoon. Um, the film came later, but both come from like a. I think it was a 1930s American comic strip. Right. Uh, Prince Valiant. A whisper in my ear, a voice so strong and clear. The Legend yeah, of Prince Valiant. I don't Do you remember, remember that one. That one no. uh, it's basically the story is is that right at the beginning of the series, uh, the show starts with Prince Valiant and his family. Uh, they they're the ruling family of uh, Thule. It's called this this small like right. nation, and um, they this guy comes in conquers the kingdom. Sinan or something, I think his name was. Right. He, and uh, exiles. Uh, Valiant and his family mm-hmm. so Valiant decides he has this dream uh, about Camelot mm-hmm. and he thinks he's gonna he wants to go and become a knight of the round table um, and fight for justice alongside King Arthur so he sets off and on his on his way he ends up um, encountering a couple of people that I wouldn't I wouldn't call them followers they're, they're his friends but they right. do sort of follow his lead okay. one was uh, like a woodsman called Arn Mm-hmm. And the other one was a blacksmith's daughter called Rowan, who is awesome with a bow and arrow. And she decides she wants to be the first female knight of the round table. This is kind of ringing a bell now, actually. I kind so, of remember Arn. So they go. You, you can't forget Arn. Arn's brilliant. <laughs> uh, so they go. They they go off, and a lot of the shows are to do with them. So, for example, Arn, because of his own insecurities about his. Because uh, he's not an educated man, he's a peasant. Right. Um, he's, he's very good as a woodsman, and he's a very loyal friend. Uh, but he's constantly doubting himself because he hasn't got the education or noble birth that the others have got. Right. So, you know, it's it's quite interesting. It was uh, there ended up being a bit of a love triangle as well going off because mm. both Valiant and. Um, Arn were in love with Rowan, and she just thought of them both as friends. So. Well, 
it, it's a woman who's there, so yeah. I can understand their situation. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, I really loved Prince Valiant. Now, in a few years after I remember the cartoon coming out, there was a, a live action film <laughs> called I Valiant, that. <laughs> um, and it, it didn't. Re- it wasn't following the story of these particularly. I mean, it was a young a young kid who wants to be. Again, a knight and everything. Uh, I remember Catherine Heigl playing the love interest in that. Mm-hmm. It was, and I really liked that film when it when it came out in the nineties. Um, but it it really was separate to the yeah, it's not really to the cartoon. Yeah. But yeah, that was good. And then there was uh, Iron Man. I didn't see that. Iron Man, and it was interesting because it's got some of the other characters like War Machine and and Hawkeye. But it's about Iron Man and his own team, Force Works. Yeah, I didn't really know much about Iron Man until the films. I don't think most people did, to be fair. No. I mean, I Robert Downey Jr. put Iron Man on the map. He did, really. He did. Yeah. And it was a gamble, and it paid off. And he and he portrays that character perfectly. Mm. Um, and he, I, I think he must be familiar with the Iron Man from the uh, from the cartoon because he he did a very good representation of that character as well. Yeah. He portrays a lot of that character's elements. He brings it to, to life. But yeah, I really like the Iron Man cartoon. Because this wasn't the first series, because there was an old Iron Man cartoon right, years yeah. before mm-hmm. uh, with like the 60s, 70s style Iron Man. But yeah, the 90s Iron Man was very good. <laughs> um, Sailor oh, Moon? I've, I've seen clips of the 70s Iron Man. I'm just remembering that now. Yeah. It looked, it, it looked it, bad. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll admit, I've got that on DVD, but it was not a bright time for Marvel. <laughs> the DVD's got stink lines coming up. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, I sometimes, think if it, I sometimes think to myself, if it wasn't for those like stinky shows from like the <laughs> 60s and 70s, yeah. would we have the Marvel Universe and everything that we have now? But then on the same time, looking at how much some of the old stuff wasn't good, like the old um, Luferino Hulk shows, yeah. you kind of think, well, it was that bad. How did they get them to make another yeah, one? <laughs> yeah, how did it not ruin it? <laughs> what about right. Sailor Moon? Did Sailor you remember Moon. that? No, I didn't watch that. No, the first Japanese thing I really that I know was Japanese was um, um, me and my sister watched Pokemon a lot oh, right, when yeah. that when that was out because like all the all of the kids in the playground all had the cards and everything and it was yeah. just so so fun that they were kind of collecting these things mm. and we hadn't hadn't really seen that kind of. I mean, it's like an introduction to anime, basically, mm. into when you were a kid. So that was that was really interesting. Then we were really angry with Digimon for being a like a rip-off. A rip-off, a blatant <laughs> yeah. rip-off. But then that ends up being quite good, because they were different. They, they ended up, some of them were massive, like a mm. cactus that was like over the whole city. So, yeah, so that was that. But I didn't see Sailor Moon. You've mentioned it to me more recently, and I have watched some now. Mm. Uh, but I didn't watch it as a kid, no. Because the, I mean, the American ones, which are the ones that we all got to see, mm. um, were compared to the Japanese ones that were broadcast, a lot more tame. Were they? Yeah, a lot more tame than the Japanese ones. Right. Um, they had things in there that the they wouldn't put in the American show. What she committed heavy curry. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah, uh, Usagi was the girl in there that becomes Sailor Moon. It was a yeah. very good good show and a good introduction to anime if you've uh, it's kind of like I've got no I kind of if I had daughters I would have shown them 
uh, Sailor Moon, but I haven't, so Perrin gets to watch it with me. So, <laughs> but he loves he does love Sailor Moon. He does love Sailor Moon. I don't um, Another show that I watched, and I spent years trying to remember this because there was bits of this program that I remember, but only from like a couple of very specific episodes, <laughs> and it took me years to track this down because I really wanted to show my kid, yeah. and it wasn't like an animation. Uh, like uh, all the other things we've talked about, it's a program called Gumdrop, and Channel Four commissioned uh, a load of, of these episodes, and they were only five minutes a piece. Back in 1994, the books that they were based on were written in the 1970s by this uh, writer and illustrator called Val Biro. Mm-hmm. Um, and Gumdrop is the car. It, the, the illustrator actually had the Gumdrop car right, that, was, okay. that the books are about. So he was writing about his own car in all these different um, different scenarios. But Channel Four, when they commissioned these, instead of having them animated, they used the original illustrations that he'd drawn for his books. Mm-hmm. And so you had like a, a camera that would. Uh, on on the picture and it the camera would just move across to a different part of the scene filming um, reading a book yeah. and well, it's uh, of this massive illustration and it would like zoom in zoom out on different parts so it wasn't like a single picture uh, it was moving around and then it would move on to the next picture and do the same thing and the narrator for it was Nigel Planer who when I was I finally figured out which show it was and started showing my kid I realized was the narrator for a lot of the um, Terry Pratchett books, the Gars Gars books. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of, I've been watching this like charming cartoon and I keep thinking Nobby Nobs. Mm. <laughs> but it's like, it's the artwork for it, the illustrations for it are so charming. It was just, although it is very much a, a kid show, it's not like these other shows. It was still really nice to watch them with my own little boy and see how much he liked it. But the the yeah. cre- a lot of these programs we're talking about how good the music was with this. It was shockingly bad, <laughs> not just bad, shockingly bad. Right. Um, but yeah, they were just really charming little five minute episodes of the of the books. Right. Because you were on WhatsApp trying to see if we all remembered it. And yeah, I, nobody else did. I'd been trying to remember it on and off for years. And I mean, it's an old Austin Heavy, so it's a lovely like nineteen twenties mm. car, um, which is still being used to uh, different shows and stuff now um, for car shows. But yeah, I, I'd been trying to remember the name of this program for years, and eventually it was getting me so wound up that I started asking people, "Do you remember, can you remember anything about this mm. show?" And then I managed to track it track it down. Um, without any help, so you know, there's, 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 there's time put to good use. Mm. Um, Power Rangers, yeah, what's that? I remember really liking it and wanted to be a Power Ranger, and I... me and my friends used to pretend it was morphing time. Yeah, I never <laughs> knew what morphing was. They used to talk about morphing as if it was an actual thing. Uh, I don't know if it was a noun or a verb, but <laughs> I really liked the Zords. Um, they were like basically robot the dinosaurs, robots, yeah. so that was really cool. And then they could like combine to become a Megazord, mm. so that always seems really cool. See, robots good, dinosaurs good. Mm. You know, there's nothing there not to like. Um, yeah, one of the things I always make the monster grow. <laughs> <laughs> that was crazy. I really like that show. I mean, I've learned more about the program in more recent years, and rewatching some of the, them with my my own boys because my boys love the Power Rangers. You can watch stuff again. I, couldn't believe how cheesy it was. 
Oh, I can. It, it's not aged well. I, mean, I even at thought at it was all. cheesy. No, I thought it was definitely cheesy at the time, but I loved mm. the robot dinosaurs so yeah. much. But it's like, why do we have to like move around so? Well, obviously now I know like they've got the whole faces covered. Yeah. If they don't like over emote everything, <laughs> then they're well, not acting. Really, funny enough, so. that's not the that's not the only thing because mm. um, the the original Japanese program was aired before the American Stop one. Googling stuff. Okay. Just and watch the program. Uh, it turns out that whenever we were watching those shows and it cut to a fight scene, mm-hmm. that was the same as the Japanese fight scene. Basically, when you couldn't see the actors, <laughs> they were the Jap- it was the Japanese footage. Oh. So that, um, to save on costs. <laughs> they all, they all got, <laughs> they've all got different builds. After yeah. and I, I, now, when I realised that, when I found that out, I was kind of like thinking, I want to now go back and rewatch that and just look for little inaccuracies in high and stuff like that. You really need stuff to do, man. I do. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I started this podcast, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Look where that's led us, Richard. Yeah, Uh, so the other one, Reboot. Reboot. I loved Reboot, and uh, still do, it turns out, because we watched some the other day. Yeah. And that's a time when... Well, I didn't make And my kids weren't even particularly involved in that, but they did come and watch it with us, didn't they? No, Carol, my sister was here, and we always used to watch it. We particularly liked an episode called Firewall. Mm. Where it's kind of got a James Bond type intro, which was just bizarre. <laughs> I mean, I watched that a few times when I was a kid, and uh, I still enjoyed it. They ripped off so many things in that episode as well. Definitely, didn't they? it was like it had Toy Story, Micro Machines, James Bond, and yeah. Um, but it was so it was pretty dark for a kids program. Mm. Um, the way they would be sometimes oppressed by the bad guy Megabyte and like all the people living in fear and mm. wants to have a, a revolution and stuff like that and he was he imprisoned his own sister Hexadecimal mm. and was like and she went insane and <laughs> in imprisonment he was using her power mm. I mean that and and, and it, was, it does look old it does look old now but I, I think the thing it. that dates it more than anything is the fact that it was like that computer 3D mm. animation which um, was amazing at the time I just couldn't believe it at the yeah. time but now <laughs> it just looks it looks like an old game it looks yeah. like, like one of these games that you get for 99p now on a disc mm. and, yeah. but um, then it's meant to be old games it's, it's set in a computer so. my favourite characters in that were Mouse and Dot Matrix Mouse and Dot Matrix are good I, I liked it when it skipped ahead and uh Enzo was became Ma- Matrix mm. and Andrea was really cool as well and he was being like a, a tough action hero <laughs> out on the internet trying to find Bob yeah, yeah. that was really cool everyone finds Bob on the internet these days um, oh. <laughs> but, and just finally um, Nightmare Now, this mm. is something, now, we've got a lot of people in our audience aren't from Britain, and I found out this is very much a British thing. A lot of these shows we're talking about, yeah. people outside of the UK are going to know. Whereas... You have to be British and our exact age <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to know what this is. <laughs> but Nightmare was amazing. Okay, so picture this. It's the early 90s. Uh, Just come home from school. You come home from school, you put Tired. the TV on, and you... It, Goes to a castle. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's a man called uh, Tree Guard. He's like the keeper of the castle. He's like the the game's host, really, isn't mm. it? It's very much all role played. Uh, there's three kids with him sat sat watching this screen, which you can't see, but obviously they can. They've got their pad and pencils. Okay, cut to another room. Okay, the pad and pencils are overkill. Huh? <laughs> 
Yeah, well, obviously, some of them just weren't using it. Okay, cut, <laughs> yeah. to a, cut to another room, right? And you've got a kid with a helmet on, so he's completely blinded and can't see. And this doesn't go to CPS. What the hell were we watching? <laughs> <laughs> right. But this kid is put into a virtual reality scenario. Okay, mm. so again, you've got all this computer-generated VR go- coming up. Which the kid can't see. Which the kid can't see because he's, he's blinded by this gimp helmet. And <laughs> but the audience can see it and those kids can <laughs> the see The audience it. can see it, but they have questions about the helmet. Um, <laughs> it's like a Viking helmet that goes all the way over your face. With like yeah. horns coming up on it and that, this visor, which mm. is kind of pointless because he can't actually see anything. Yeah, it's a um, visor that's not a whole... So he's going into these rooms where he's going to meet people that are going to have riddles for him, mm-hmm. um, things, dangers that he's got to overcome. It might be that he's got to walk around in a particular pattern to get through the, without falling into a chasm. Uh, sometimes it was a bomb with a fuse that was going down. If he took too long, he'd have to. It, 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 it'd be killed, wouldn't he? Well, not not the actual kid, but in the game, it'd be his I wasn't too sure when I was watching <laughs> yeah. it. I mean, they show the kid at the end. That, oh, actually, is okay. Or, yeah. or he or she. And, um, but yeah, it wasn't convincing. But it, it says a lot for a British TV show that they had to show that the kid was okay, wasn't it? I mean, I wanted to be holding today's newspaper and saying yeah. they were okay. <laughs> but, um, oh, they'd, they'd meet different characters in there, so sometimes it'd be like a little combat. Some people would be trying to help him, some people would be an enemy so you'd have to find some way to over- not necessarily to overcome them physically but it'd it was have riddles, some sort of it, riddle to overcome or occasionally yeah. he'd find like a device or something he could use to entrap somebody Otherwise, so he could get um, by them and- objects on the table he could take a few but you can only take three was it? sometimes I think it was it was more you could take whatever you want but whatever you ha- did, did take uh, some things were going to help you some things were going to harm you so like you'd have to maybe would take some provisions so there'd be like some cheese and an apple or something so he put that into his little satchel Uh, and there might be a key there for example that Mm. he might need he may or may not lead later to on his quest uh, and it was just it was like an RPG wasn't it for the yeah. for those kids and you were watching the friends them. were guiding them they were like saying take two steps forward then two, turn to your right yeah. and stuff like that because yeah. obviously they were seeing the same thing that we were seeing at home of the of the kid in this VR environment and I still say this not, not only was it a hugely entertaining show that was so much fun and got to that inner gamer mm. But technologically, what they managed to do with the tech of that time to put that kind of VR show on, there's yeah. nothing like that now. Yeah, and um, we're talking like thirty. The technology of thirty years ago. 30, Come on, people! Is it thirty years ago, <laughs> it's coming up there because it was late eighties. It started, wasn't it? The was it? nightmare. I, w- I was thinking of um, doing this on Windows ninety five computers, yeah. but obviously they were doing it on like green screen stuff. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they didn't like, even have that paperclip to help them. It looked good. It didn't just. Didn't yeah, it, 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 it actually good, looked yeah. good. It didn't just look like some computer-generated fakery. They managed the, to make um, it look good. And everything was... Where there was real people, they were, you know, they used them, and it was role-played and everything was acted yeah, out. Yeah, I like that there was that woman in the cave who was like... She'd give people riddles, wouldn't yeah, she? Yeah, and she hated... What was the guy's name? Tree Guard. Yeah, she hated Tree Guard, and they got him to go away. I always kind of thought that they'd had some sort of a lover's tiff at some point. Yeah, that's, his, <laughs> that's the cave of the ex-girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah. Always then, be wary of the cave of the ex-girlfriend. <laughs> Friend. <laughs> yeah, and then there was um, there was that a giant in one of the rooms, yeah. and sometimes there would be a wall. Now the walls were the ones that scared me. It was like yeah, because it would have a face would come out. It would ask them riddles. Basically, if you got all three wrong, then it 
ate you. Yeah. And I found that really scary. I think if, if you got two of them right, you were you were okay. And if you got three wrong, the wall would eat you. Yeah, if you got all of them right, then you not only get to get past, but it also give you a clue about yeah. what's going to turn. Now, this stuff is all one shot. You, it's like a computer game where you only have one life. Mm. And then, basically, you all have to go home. So it's yeah. like if this person... If they die, die, then they um, it's not only they lose, but all their three friends have to go home as well. But they, they deserve to go home because they've been telling you the wrong things yeah, to do. they're the ones guiding um, you. I mean, with with that show, I mean, one of the things that was great about it was that sometimes you'd have the same team for three or four episodes because the team might be doing really, really well, so yeah. you'd have to keep bringing them back. Other teams, they'd, they'd lose on the first room. Mm. For, within the first couple of rooms, they'd be dead. They would, yeah. Um... But they kind of arranged it so that well, each episode was like 20 minutes and then at the end of that then it goes on to the next episode and we just carry on. I thought that was a really good aspect of it. Yeah. They've been doing some live stage shows as well, haven't they? Because there was one yeah, uh, we, wanna go, we wanted to go to at the expo but they were sold out. And we're going to go this time. We're going to go next time. June. I, as a kid, I so wanted to be on that show. I really wanted to play that game because it was just <laughs> brilliant. Too. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. Hugo Meyer, uh, the, the tree guard from the show, as far as I'm aware, he's st- still um, t- taking part in the live action ones as well. Well, he just can't stop. I mean, yeah. if they were, <laughs> if, even if this wasn't a program, he would have been doing that back in the ages. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he was, by all accounts, he's a great guy, so hopefully we'll get to hmm. see that one day. But yeah. If you aren't from the UK, you probably have no idea what we're talking about if you weren't a kid in the UK at that time. Mm. Um, so if yeah, not, let us know what go you had. check it out and tell us what you think about that. But as Richard says, tell us what you used to watch because I guarantee you that you probably had things to watch that we didn't. I bet there was some cool American stuff going on. So let us know what, what, we, what we missed out on and mm. go, go check out Nightmare. Yeah, definitely. I don't know who you are. But we're the Middlesome Maples, and it's time to talk about books. A very particular set of books. And on this Tome Talk, Richard's going to be talking to us about a book by Peter F. Hamilton entitled The Abyss, Be- Abyss Beyond Dreams. Yes. And uh, I'd just like to say that mm. I've just noticed on the cover it's recommended by both the Daily Mail and the Guardian. So I want yeah. to know what kind of freaky work of nature you've got here, Richard. <laughs> well, they can appreciate a good book, like, even though they uh, they argue with each other. And um, yeah, yeah, but it's made just... them agree on something. Yeah, yeah. There are parts of it where because it does get quite political. This book, right? Even though it's politics on another planet, mm-hmm. in basically a different universe. Um, but you I mean you could take different parts of it to uh, support what you wanted really it's ah, uh, so that's what they've done it's pretty well rounded really but no i think they just appreciate being a good book really um now you were asking if it was part of a, a series <laughs> and it is called like this the first story the first book in uh, what they've called the chronicle of the fallers okay so there's a big list of all the different series that peter f hamilton has done Chronicle of the Fallers, this is the only one. Mm-hmm. I've checked, there are more of it. <laughs> so there are more Chronicle of the Fallers book, but it's um, kind of embedded within other series. Right. So um, I could just, I could pick this up quite easily mm-hmm. because there's lots of expositional lines and dialogue and explanations of what had gone on previously. So I understood the kind of universes it was in, but it was very much a completely 
different stories like starting so sort of a standalone book within an existing universe yeah and you yeah. don't need to have read any of the other books of the universe to no. follow this one it did make me quite interested in reading some of them because it's actually the same main character okay although strangely it's a clone of him so this the main character in it nigel sheldon it just became very obvious that that he was the main one from all these other books. It just speaks about his previous adventures and things mm. like that. He was basically the guy from Earth who... Um, well, he was the first one to set foot on Mars. Okay. But he did it through a portal. So he's like a, a physicist, and then they made this kind of... Basically a wormhole. And, and this just is made the it... backstory, not the book itself. This is what had happened in previous books, right, apparently. Okay. It's explained here. But uh, yeah, he opened a portal on Earth, stepped out onto Mars... And I think that was like a massive achievement for humankind, but apparently there was an alien kind of standing there, like laughing at them <laughs> at the time. I'm not sure. I'm not sure kind of how that went down or anything. But they they kind of found out they weren't the only ones in the in the galaxy. And basically, this guy, because of like genetics and things like that, he's over a thousand years old mm. now, and still looks like 25. And he is the leader of. The Commonwealth, which is kind of a federation type thing, mostly uh, linked together through wormholes and things like that. But he's managed to kind of make humankind have a inter well interstellar society, mm. um, and it's a bit of a kind of post scarcity thing. And the fact that he is the one having the adventure here, it made me think of Zaphod Beeblebrox quite a lot. Like, he's actually there being very hands on, yeah. but also being basically the president of the galaxy and. Yeah, I thought that was quite interesting that he featured so much in this book. But as I say, he's a it was a, a clone of him, and that comes quite early. They like kind of realise that they're going to have to send someone into this mm. void. Um, that Nigel's the best one to go, but also too important to go. So he clones himself with all the memories and then sends that. <laughs> and um, but a lot of it happens on this planet, which is called uh, Bienvenido, and. What it is, is it's in a void. and I Would you say that that's a welcoming planet, Richard? Kind of. Yeah. Uh, I know, yeah. <laughs> I know you know Spanish. But yeah. <laughs> so, um, what had happened is... Yeah, there you go. There's, there's kind of a map of most of it there. So, um, what it is, is some people on a, on a colony ship got stuck in a void and... Now, I think this void has been featured before in Peter F. Hamilton's books because there is the Void trilogy, you can right. see here. Now, this is basically the black hole in the centre of our galaxy. So, in this universe, or this uh, literary universe, that f turns out to have some very weird properties and it's mm. not just a singularity, it is actually a void that's expanding and engulfing planets and stuff. When you get in there, the physics are very different all your ship and all the technology kind of stops working. The humans have kind of nanomachines and stuff mm. like that, so they've got basically telepathy and stuff like that. Oh, well, kind of. It's kind of a uh, called a Gaia field, I think. So, like, they can sense each other's emotions and things like right. that. Right. Now, when they get and in... that's something that each one projects, is it? Or well, it's kind of kind of links together. It's like internet on your okay. uh, in nanos and. Obviously, you can tweak what physical attributes you want to have, things like that. And uh, so everybody looks exactly how they would want to look. So I like the sound of that. Yeah, yeah. It, it does, like Towards the beginning of the book, there's a lot of uh, talk about how if someone 
looks uh, if there's any kind of physical kind of imperfection that's kind of a statement like mm. a bold statement uh, that they don't want to conform and things like that um so that's a kind of post-scarcity civilization they're living in and when they get in the void all that stops working but the physics becomes really weird they have telekinesis weird stuff like that mm. um proper telepathy and um yeah basically their technology stops working but they find they've got basically powers Hmm. It's some very weird quantum stuff happening in this void. There are aliens in there with them who are bizarre, and they and time is weird as well. So humans get lost in this void and end up having to make a new civilization, basically. And because they can't get out of the void, can't get out, can't no. get back. So this is why this planet gets settled. So. I mean, none of this is kind of spoilers because what I've just explained is basically the prologue. Mm. And um, the bulk of the book is set on this planet that's been settled and then it's like 3,000 years later. Um, They are trying to keep themselves safe from the fallers, which are horrible. It's like these eggs that just fall out of the orbit. Mm. And they'll kind of lure you towards them using some kind of psychic link. And if you get stuck on it, it will, they basically eat you and you become a new, they kind of make a copy of you that's a, basically a faller from then on, which will go on to eat But is people. that copy superior? Uh, no. Oh, it, there, are, there are some superiorities, but it's not you. It is a and, faller. Yeah, but that's I, the trouble. I kind of like the idea of a superior version of me. Not if it just came in through the door and started <laughs> killing everybody. But, yeah, because that's basically what's happening. Hang on, hang on. Yeah. Which door? Yeah, the one that you want to escape from. (laughs) (laughs) So basically, yeah, these things are horrible. And obviously, what has happened is a very uneven, aristocratic society has developed on this planet Mm -hmm. because the ruling class are using the fear of the fallers to kind of keep themselves in power. Okay. Like, you keep need you need to pay us taxes so we protect you from the fallers, stuff mm. like that. Which is almost like a standard military propaganda thing in this... It is, uh, yeah. ...in this world, isn't it? It reminded I mean, me very much... It, it was like France before the Revolution or Russia. It's I like, think it, when you said that, I was thinking, like, Cold War Russia type. That kind of thing. Or, or North no, Korea. No, it, it ends up being... More uh, that's more later, yeah. They rule largely by the fear of... Of the West, they paint the West as Yeah, these. that kind of thing. Yeah, but it's it's also like there's no social mobility, mm. that kind of thing. So, and it, it really, if anyone's more... listening to this podcast in North Korea, we're not all like that. There's only one there's person only some ever going to be like listening that. to it. Yeah. <laughs> so, <there's, laughs> who has the ability to listen to podcasts? <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, the, um, so it, it kind of made me feel more like it's like a medieval type of thing, mm. though, because of the way marriages worked things like that like some there'll be alliances between different mm. uh, different families and things like that so so they make kind of like a feudal yeah it seems more system, feudal yeah. yeah that's it but obviously it, it was sci-fi but now none of the technology works so it basically is like like medieval but they have they have weird kind of genetic engineering that they can do so they've been doing some of that mm. on animals so they've got basically their own mutants that will work for them, stuff like that. So it's a very different type of world. It sounds interesting. It sounds unique. It's very unique. This is why I'm having to explain so much, because, um, yeah, it's hard to kind of picture what the 
the main mm. thrust of the book is. Now, this is what I'm getting to now. Most of it is about a revolution mm. and about planning a revolution. And it made me think of Discworld quite a lot mm. because it's like one of the, like you were talking about the Vimes books last week. Um, it's, it reminds me of Nightwatch, really. And okay. uh, the way that a revolution is brewing and mm. it's all the planning of it and uh, like atrocities happening that fuel it. And the fact that they have this telepathy as well that makes it so much different because there's one point where there's a riot and the police are trying to put it down and a little girl gets shot and you don't know if that was on purpose or whatever. It could have just been a stray bullet. But everybody gathers around her. They're trying to help her and everything. And then this image of her gets transmitted from brain to brain um, through this kind of telepathy hmm. makes the riot ten times worse. <laughs> it's that that kind of thing can happen wow. on this one. And uh, like people are using their telekinesis against the guards. The guards have these have having to have these psychic shells around them. So yeah, it's very different. It's like very imaginable on Earth mm. happening because that kind of thing has happened, but with such different physics and mm. different on a different world. And uh, it just changes the game, doesn't it? It right? does. Well, yeah. Not that these things are a game. But no, I mean. no, no, no. Yeah, it changes the changes way that the... it is. And it's just so interesting to see the same kind of issues that have happened on Earth unfolding on a completely mm. different planet. And it's one where humans have started it again in the future. So it's not like this is like an alternate Earth imaginary. This is like we've gone to the stars, we've ended up getting trapped. History has repeated itself. Because there, <laughs> so are, there are some that think that if we were to reach the stars, mm. our problems on Earth would seem insignificant by comparison, therefore yeah. we would solve them. But it's interesting that this is a portrayal of, you know, we've gone out, we've done all that, and we've still taken those same issues with us. Yeah, because unless we, it, really, yeah. unless we deal with those issues... They're yeah. never going to go away. Yeah, because basically we are basically the same still, even yeah. though um, culture changes. And I mean, even with the advance of technology, mm. we are still predominantly following the same psyche. Yeah. That we that people were two thousand years ago. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, longer than that. You know. I mean, we're still hunter gatherers, really. Yeah. But yeah, so um, yeah, the the resolution bit is really interesting, and you get very absorbed mm. in that. Um, it's actually a character called. Um, Slavasta, it's a hard name to pronounce actually. He is the main one like starting this revolution, and uh, there's his wife, um, Bethanyve. They're both strange names. So it's them two that are kind of do- doing this. Sounds like two different people. His, yeah. His wives, Bethanyve. Oh yeah, it does actually. Yeah, it makes it sound like that. Yeah, maybe he's onto something there. <laughs> but um, yeah, when Nigel kind of turns up again, this Nigel Sheldon. Obviously, he's there. They're not really sure where he's from of anything mm. but he seems to just be in the know about everything and have all this weird mm. technology because he, he's kind of making stuff from scratch none of his technology works either but he kind of uh, he kind of understands more than they do because he's just come from the commonwealth whereas they are on a planet where all this knowledge has been forgotten yeah like centuries ago that's why i think there's a kind of a, a weird time thing that kind of got away from me a little bit time is so weird and malleable in the void that I mm. kind of... I think, basically, Sheldon is, like, a th- over a thousand years old, and Nigel Sheldon, and these people that got lost in the void, because time's different there, they've had 3,000 years in there, mm. so, yeah, it is weird. But, anyway, um, this, they have this revolution. Obviously, part of it is about... Do you believe the revolution is to 
yeah. as to who wins and who loses up for... Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not going to do... Obviously, they plan the revolution. I'm not going to say how that went or anything like that. But the part of the planning of the revolution is what you do afterwards. Right. Like, and they had to... They were planning this right from the start. Like, we can't just make it military. We have to have some political clout. Mm. We have to have people believing in us, things like that. And... I mean, that kind of thing can go wrong very easily. Mm. And, um, yeah, the nature of the void, I kind of got the idea that we were going to learn more about that at the end. Um, Because it's so weird and you understand so Mm. little throughout the book of what what, uh, the nature of this void is. Um, Because it's almost like there's religious components to it a little bit because, like, one of the things that's weird in this quantity is, like, when someone dies you kind of see like a soul go mm. up and it will either be guided by these sky lords a type of alien there's these two different uh, you can either go to Jiu which is like a nebula over there mm. or you can go to Eurarchus which is one over there which is horrible it looks horrible and kind of like a heaven and hell basically yeah, yeah. so the sky lords will either guide you to Jiu or if you haven't lived a fulfilled life or something uh, so you didn't have your head together when you died, basically. You just kind of wander around and you end up in Eurarchus, uh, I think they call it. And uh, But the weird thing is... Yeah. I'm not going to say any more about that, but no. that, that us, is the bizarre bit of it, anyway. Tell us what it is about this book that you particularly liked and why you recommend it. I liked the fact that... Um, well, as I've mentioned, the political and social elements of it are so interesting and so engrossing um it would work if it was on earth i think mm. if it's uh, relatable yeah it's very relatable and yet it is in such a bizarre kind of situation mm. um where the f- laws of physics are all over the place and yeah you, you kind of really want them to get back into this into the proper universe mm. with all its amazing technology and everything and uh yeah, you're kind of really rooting for for Nigel and the others. Um, and I kind of look forward to seeing more about what the Fallers actually are because they were kind of a boogeyman in this, basically. It was all to do with people's fear of the Fallers mm. rather than the Fallers themselves. So with this being the chronicle of the Fallers, I mean, I think there's going to be a lot more about them. Yeah. So, yeah, I've been looking forward to see, but... I found this very interesting as a place to start hmm. reading Peter F. Hamilton's books. I think because it did feature Nigel Sheldon, who was obviously one of the main characters from his stories, and yet it was kind of him starting a new lot of adventures. Yeah. I think that was quite a nice place to start. I'm not sure whether or not I do want to go and read from the beginning or just carry on from here. I may well just carry on from here, actually, and just kind of look up what happened in the others, but I'll have to see. Definitely, it's worth reading, I, I think. Yeah. I don't know anything about this book, but from what you said, it does sound interesting. Mm-hmm. The What does appeal to me about this, first of all, is the um, the artwork. I really like the art on the cover. Uh, it's interesting as well, because we were saying just before we started recording that this is probably the most recent book yeah. that we've we've ever talked about. It's like about three years old. It's like three years old, and most of ours is, you know, like 20, 30 years <laughs> yeah. ago. I mean, we've, we've done books from the 1930s. So, yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. So it is definitely the most recent mm. one. 
But this is one Richard recommends. Yeah, definitely. Peter F. Hamilton, The Abyss Beyond Dreams. Now, before we go to the end of the show, we just wanted to take a moment and recommend a few YouTube channels and podcasts for you to check out while we're off air. So, one of the YouTube channels we wanted to mention was the Malin Apollo Show. If you like video games, if you like video game playthroughs, then you definitely want to check check that out. Mal and Apollo are both absolutely fantastic people, really supportive of the Medicine Meeple. So if you're listening to this, guys, thank you so much. We hope people go out and check your, check out your channel. Richard wanted to rec- recommend a podcast called Crime in Sports. He describes this as comedy at the expense of criminal scumbags who should have known better. You don't need to like sports either to listen to it. It's more about the crime and the comedy aspects of what's happened. Now, another podcast I wanted to to recommend to you was the Something Random podcast. Now, this is a fantastic podcast. The guys who present it are really funny, really good. Every week it's a random topic. Uh, They discuss movies, TV, uh, games things like that so if you like those uh, if you have those interests then that's a show you definitely want to check out Um, also the Secret Cabal Gaming Podcast if you like board games I love those guys they are so much fun so they get me so excited about games listening uh, to what they're talking about and wanting to try games so if you like board games that's one to try also if you like board games check out The Broken Meeple that's another fantastic podcast it's one of the ones on the Dice Tower network uh, hosted by Luke Hector so check that out uh, Super Nerds and Nerds Chatting they're both very good fun pod- podcasts that talk about everything geek culture everything pop culture um, I also wanted to give a shout out to a few YouTube channels, namely uh, Two Can Play That Game. If you like board games, you check that out. Also, check out Board Gaming at Home, which is uh, quite interesting. It's run by a guy called Russell. He uh, has playthroughs of him, his wife, and his children playing games. Some really uh, good content on there. I also wanted to recommend Dan Carlin's Hardcore History. Now, this one. Uh, some of these episodes are quite long, but incredibly informative. Dan talks with so much passion. Uh, he will get you excited about history. He will get you thinking. So definitely one to uh, check out. I also wanted to mention the Art House Radio podcast, which can I've listened to quite a few episodes of those. Uh, Troy, the guy who run, runs that, he is very, very good. Really presents things in an interesting and informative way. Another really good podcast to check out is Jeremy Collins with his podcasts that we listen to. Um, now, podcasts we listen to is him interviewing other podcast hosts. And it's a great way to learn about new podcasts and about the people that host them. So definitely a few things to check out. Hopefully you'll like them. Hopefully you won't like them so much that you don't that you decide not to come back to ours. So thank you very much. Let's get on with the last part of the show. So there we go, that was episode 20. I'd like to take a moment to thank my co-hosts, uh, Richard and Heather, uh, for the thank you. for uh, joining mm. me for the Medicine Meeples and helping us to bring this show together. Um, obviously, if it was just me talking to a camera, it wouldn't have been that interesting. Well, yeah, you'd have no reactions. It's like the same thing. Oh, I would, but they'd all be in like, the dark corners of the web with people going, how dare he say that offensive yeah, thing? but no one right here just go... <gasps> <laughs> I need the visual feedback. That's, that's it. I need that Bring feedback. Bring terrain, you're back in. 
so yeah, it's been a we've been uh, planning this uh, for over a year, and we've been recording for over nine months, and it's been a, a great experience doing that. Oh, so thank fun. you for joining me for that, and thank you to everybody who has watched our YouTube videos, everybody who's downloaded our audio podcasts. Um, we are, I say, we are taking a break so that we can make season two even better than season one. Um, <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> no pressure. Uh, but you know what? I'm going to really miss recording this. I'm going to yeah. really miss doing this yeah. in the meantime. I'm not going to know what to do in the time. <laughs> I'm not so. going to have to buy as many biscuits to bribe the kids to be quiet in the other room. <laughs> no, no, no. no, that's not necessarily a bad thing. You it's know, just that consumption is going to go down. <laughs> in a way, it'll kind of still be like we're, we're doing a, a private podcast because Richard's still going to come round, you're still mm. going to be here, and we're going to be like laughing and joking, but no one's going to get to hear it. Well, we were already talking about this stuff anyway before we did yeah. this. <laughs> but when you're at the room, we can say anything and know it's not being recorded now. Oh, no, it's been recorded. <laughs> it's always going to be recorded. <laughs> Those bloopers are going to be so bad. Yeah. There we go. So watch out for, for that. Hopefully we'll be dropping that around Christmas time. Uh, but as we say, thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you again for the new season in the next year. Mm -hmm. Stay meddlesome. Yeah, stay meddlesome until we get back. Not too much. <laughs> Dot it back a little bit because it's a few weeks. <laughs> Farewell, Quester, and thanks for joining us. If you wish to avoid the wrath of Greyskarn the Black, then subscribe to our show before you depart. Our fortress is located at meddlesomemeeples.com or join our banners by rendezvousing with us at facebook.com forward slash meddlesomemeeples instagram.com forward slash the meddlesomemeeples or follow the flight of the mountain bluebird to at meddlesomemeeples Until next time, Quester, farewell and keep thine axe sharp. <laughs>